Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. You bitches! Bet on the Kungunais! Welcome to the PBFG Podcast. I'm Joe, your host at BMATFTS, the keeper of the real, and this is our co-host Alex. How's it going, Joe? It's a good week uh, to be back. You guys can find me at I underscore like underscore sports six. Joe, we had a good week, huh? It went all right. It went all right. Uh, The pod was up eight units and I was up, I think, nine, but I can't complain. Yeah, I think I was up like six and a half because I I only bet seven units, though. So I will take that return. I, I didn't miss a bet. So I only bet on ones that I felt really good about, but they all worked out. So it was a good week for me personally, and obviously the pod did real well. All right. I think in order to get started, we should just go through our bets from last week, make sure that we didn't get lucky. Lord knows that doesn't happen. Uh, First game, we had Cincinnati minus five over Oakland, three units. This one was probably the luckiest one we had. This was a little, I mean, it was closer than it should have been because the Bengals could not move the ball in the red zone. But, and like, they settled for field goals, like, three or four times. But Derek Carr almost tied it up, putting it into overtime and jeopardizing our cover. What do you think? Yeah, I think it was a lot closer than I expected it to be. I didn't think it was going to be a blowout, but I thought the Bengals were going to be able to just brutalize them in the air game, and Derek Carr wouldn't be able to keep up. And it's a little bit what happened, but Joe Burrow started really hot and then just completely fell off. I think um, the score I think the score was closer than the game, but the game was closer than comfort. Definitely. I was I was pacing around watching it because I was like, oh, this is how it's gonna happen. When the Raiders came out and kicked that field goal when they were down by 10, instead of going for it on fourth and trying to score the touchdown, I was so happy. I was jumping up and down. I was like, yes. Now the now uh the Bengals can just play this out. They don't need to go score or anything. They're they're up by they're covering. We're set. I literally tweeted, what do the Bengals need? Three first downs to ice this game. Come on, Joe Burrow. Prove me wrong, you bitch. He did not, he did not prove me wrong. He uh I mean they only threw one pass, but it was not pretty. It was a classic Kevin Stefanski. Oh, so um, hard. I'm I'm leading and I'm scared. So I'm gonna run the ball up the middle twice, or you know, the farthest out it goes is to the tackle. And then I'm going to throw on third nine or whatever it is because the defense has nine people in the line of scrimmage. And, and shocking, third and long throws, sometimes they don't work. But from one game that was kind of a sweat to one game that was legitimately difficult to watch after the first quarter, I hate myself for only betting five units on Buffalo over New England. I said for like a month, that the first Patriots game, I'm throwing 10 units on whoever plays them. And when it was the Bills, I should have probably thrown 15. And I pussied out, and I only bet five units. You know, I don't think we can be too upset about that because we did say, I think this was our biggest bet of the year, or at least tied with it. It was um, our biggest It was our biggest on the pod. It was my second biggest of the year behind Green Bay over Arizona in the regular season. Yeah, so I don't think we can be too upset because we did – kind of nail it as this is a lock but yeah it's a little frustrating when all year you've been betting against the Patriots talking about they're going to implode they're not you know they're frauds and then for the Bills to come out and play an absolutely perfect game too so it just amplified the entire thing it was cathartic in that sense too yeah um another game this week had a lot of games that were kind of tough to watch after the first quarter Tampa Bay over Philly it not only did I call the game 
but I called my behavior leading up to the game. I said, I'm going to win both my bets on Saturday. I'm going to feel rich as fuck because I've made about seven, eight units. And I am going to throw $1,000 on Tampa over Philly because fuck them. That's why. And I did. And it worked. So Jalen Hurts, I'm sorry, but also thank you. Yeah, I was pretty happy that I was in the plane flying back from Arizona during most of this game. I got out in the fourth quarter, saw, all right, we're good. Watched a little bit of it on my phone as I was going back from the airport and was like, yeah, that was enough of that game. Yeah, you you missed nothing. Um, We missed one thing this week, though, as a podcast. Dallas over San Francisco for two units did not cash. Uh, And I think it was a fair result, like botched end game aside. Like, did the ref trip and tackle Dak? A little bit. Was Dak stupid to run that far without sliding? A little bit. Was it stupid to run at all in any way, shape, or form? A little bit. Should it have ever gotten to that point? Like, should Dallas have ever been trailing San Francisco by seven that late in the game? Only if you think Dak Prescott's a terrible quarterback. And despite the fact that I keep on grading him and realizing he's a bad quarterback, I keep on buying the Twitter hype and being like, no, Dak's okay. No, he's not. And I need to learn that. That is why I lost money. Hopefully, I will remember this loss. Yeah, I ended up actually not betting on this game at all because the the three games before it were where the bulk of my money was in. So I was up and went, I don't need to play with this game because it really can go either way. We talked about it last week of the 49ers might be able to just bully them. The Cowboys won't be able to get the ball enough and they're just going to wear them down and be able to chug out the win in a low scoring game. And that's what ended up happening. Obviously, we thought that Dallas is going to be able to get the offense going enough against the weaker secondary that the 49ers have. But, yeah, I agree. It was a fair result. The 49ers did what they had to to win. And then we didn't bet on Kansas City over Pittsburgh. I'm glad because I didn't want to watch that game. And our final bet was Rams over Cardinals, minus three, take the two units. We did it. We got it. We're good. That brings us up to, I mean, like, again, this was the third game that was just not even fucking close at any point. Kyler Murray, we'll get into it. That brings us to eight units, 80%, man. We said we make money in the playoffs. We said. Mm -hmm. Especially given that wildcard round hasn't always been kind to us. So hitting this well to start makes makes me feel pretty good. It has been our worst record. It has been our worst round in the playoffs over the last three years, I think, that you've been doing this with me now. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, our worst playoff round is like still break even minimum. But yeah, off to a decent start um, because we only got four games. I thought I'd give everybody a little treat, though. I think we're going to do the pumpkin report. Joe, uh, what is the pumpkin report? I got a little saying and I went over it last week. The pumpkin report refers to one of my favorite sayings, which is that scheme fades in the playoffs. And shitty quarterbacks with good stats turn back into pumpkin, referencing Cinderella, because what is more football guy than a Disney cartoon about a princess? I also have a lot of fun finding different gifts and memes of different kinds of pumpkins and then applying them to the quarterbacks that actually play like pumpkins. So pumpkin report, you're going to list a quarterback. I'm going to tell you if they turn back into a pumpkin. All right, Joe, let's start with the first Saturday game. Joe Burrow for those Cincinnati Bengals. How do you do? When I watched the game, I was like, oh, fucking pumpkin. But then watching the rest of the quarterbacks, maybe not totally pumpkin. Right now, he's a nice, he's a very large pumpkin. And you could maybe do something with his carapace if you hollowed him out. 
because he's useful. He turned in a C performance. Like he straddled that Dak line, unlike Dak. Um, pretty unspectacular, especially when you consider he's playing the Raiders, but he didn't fuck it up for him. That's the thing that I've been impressed with him is that he, even though he threw a ton of picks this year, largely he's been good at limiting the negative plays in terms of he doesn't, you know, not even the big negative turnovers or sacks or whatever, but he just always gets a couple yards out of things. He takes his checkdowns and he keeps the offense moving with how good their playmakers are. He, he makes some nice throws, but he also just takes what's given to him. So he just, I saw someone talk about it, that he just knows who he is. He's not Aaron Rodgers, and he knows that. Do you know who – we know who he is because you just described Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a little bit better than Kirk, but he's in that same realm just and because he has a higher ceiling. I can't not see Kirk Cousins when I watch him. He's Kirk Cousins with a little bit of swag in the pocket. That's it. Yeah, but I think that matters for quarterbacks. It does. Because that's why Kirk – because Kirk's biggest fault is he crumbles in the late game. So if Burrow is like believes in himself, um, he can be he's that that matters a lot. Yeah. Granted, he didn't play particularly well in the second half of that playoff game. But I feel like we've covered him enough. We'll go to the other side of the field. How Derek Carr do fucking certified ass pumpkin, like the definition, the standard. He's the American standard of a pumpkin. Like you go to the pumpkin patch and he's the big one that they got in the middle and everybody's like, that's a perfect pumpkin. And they won't sell it because it's only for display. Uh, it was a D minus game, more negative plays than positive. He fumbled and threw two pickable balls. He had that one really, fu- they both, Burrow and Carr, had one really nice, almost identical pass. A nice seam shot about 30 yards downfield, right over the shoulder of their receiver into the hands. They both threw it. I didn't know either of them had that in them. That was great. But even with that, Derek Carr was a fucking pumpkin. Yeah, he, he's he got some of that Kirk Cousins in him where he just crumbles with stuff. Mentally he's fragile. terrible in the red zone. Oh, well, you can't say that Joe Burrow was exactly fucking killing it in the red zone either. He wasn't, but uh, I don't want to get into the whataboutism of Derek Carr was awful in the red zone. Yeah. He's still, and where I talk about Joe Burrow, like, taking his checkdowns, Derek Carr just, like, throws the ball away or yeah. eats a sack. He he's just so like so quick to give up on plays, but then he occasionally does have that ball like he had to Waller that he just perfectly placed it. So then you buy in a little bit. All right, let's go to the the one that was probably the most fun to watch, or at least most validating game to watch. How Josh Allen do? I only graded the first half because the second half was a fucking joke, and there's really nothing to be gleaned from. Can you continue destroying a team? You know when you're already up 30 points and any reasonable man has given up. That was the best game I've ever seen a quarterback play, I think. And I don't say that lightly because I wasn't a huge Josh Allen fan when he came out or even now. Like, if anybody was going to turn into a pumpkin, I thought there was a good chance Josh Allen turned into a pumpkin. He did not. Uh, <laughs> it was literally the best game I've ever seen any quarterback play over the for- over the course of the first half. And then on the other side, Mac Jones was just – so Mac on the bright side for Mac Jones, he didn't look any different than he typically does, but that's a D quarterback. There is no upside and there is significant downside. All of his weaknesses were just put on like on the center stage in that game where his arm just couldn't place the ball anywhere. And he was just panicking. It was exactly what you worry about with him. And it all came true right in the playoffs. My, my Mark Sanchez comp for Mac Jones is actually getting more accurate by the day because 
Patriots apologists and Bill Belichick sycophants are like, oh, Matt Jones, you know, he's not flashy, but he's safe with the ball. Actually, he simultaneously lacks the upside of having any arm talent to speak of or athleticism, but also puts the ball at risk, like, really frequently. And there's only one other quarterback I can think of who has that same, like, dichotomy, and that's Mark Sanchez. Yeah, it could really fit that same career arc, too. And we're already seeing it a little bit. There were articles written in Mark Sanchez's rookie year about, wow, what a winner this Jets team is taking off. He's only 21. Think of how good he could get. He did not. Nope. Want to jump on it into Sunday? Might so starting you. off in that game, I'm. did you grade this whole one? <laughs> um, I think I graded into the third quarter. All right. So how'd Brady do? It was an A+, plus, but he didn't really, ha- like, it, first of all, if it wasn't for Josh Allen, I would be talking about how Tom Brady's incredible. He just keeps on fucking doing this. He was missing two-thirds of his starting receivers, and Tyler Johnson could not figure out, oh, you didn't you didn't watch, so you don't understand. Tyler Johnson, who I like as like kind of a savvy possession receiver, really good in the slot. He was just not fucking on the same page as Brady for the entire first quarter. Like every option route, he would sit and Brady wanted him to carry. It was just, it was frustrating. And Brady still managed an A-plus game, absolutely dominant, got every yard he fucking needed to. And on the other end, we got a real pumpkin here. Jalen Hurts, as the game went on, it looked worse and worse. So my gift for his pumpkinness was a rotting one, a very slowly rotting pumpkin. But like, think about a pumpkin that you accidentally left out after Halloween and it's like damn near Christmas. It's kind of getting mushy and deformed. That was Jalen Hurts by the end. It was, if Philly, it was the first of all, it was the worst first half of football I've ever seen from a quarterback, edging out Kyler Murray by one or two plays. But it was, you have to move on from Jalen Hurts if you're the Eagles. It was that bad. Yeah, I think a lot of the fan base and people started to get excited of, oh, think what we can do with these three first round picks now that we don't have to worry about quarterback, at least for right now. And now they're like, damn, we might have to trade all those picks if we want to go get somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, they're fucked. Uh, it turns out beating backup quarterbacks and really shitty teams does not make you good. Dolphins, Patriots, Eagles, learn it, know it, fade it in the playoffs. Speaking of quarterbacks you need to fade in the playoffs, how Dak do? I was getting at it earlier, and like I've, I've graded probably every snap that Dak Prescott has taken over the last four or five years. He was the first dude that I like graded every snap from his season. And I put together the fucking Excel spreadsheet and I put it on Twitter and then Cowboys Twitter fucking went at me. Uh, they were very upset that I said Dak Prescott is a below average quarterback and probably shouldn't be your franchise guy. Yeah, and that's not a good fan base to uh, piss off. They're I don't already- know how the fuck they found me, man. This is like when I had 30 or 40 followers. Um, but they fucking found me and they were not thrilled. Well, Dak did it again. (sighs) Fucking terrible. Two picks and a fumble, same like Derek Carr, except unlike Derek Carr, he didn't have any truly spectacular throws and he was less accurate. He ate four sacks that were just totally on him. I don't know how the fuck you, okay. It's, it's so bad that Colin Cowherd has realized, but you've got Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb who are a top five, let's call it a top five wide receiver duo, right? Like, that's a pretty consensus opinion. That's yeah, they're not very thing. good. But no matter then where you also, have them ranked, you, they're an incredible receiving core yeah, just about fine. any team involved. Fuck it. Say top 10 to be super safe, just in case somebody really, really hates Amari. But then you've also got Cedric Wilson and Michael Gallup, who 
Michael Gallup did not play in this game because he's hurt, but assuming health, that third and fourth receiver are better than like half the league's top two receivers. And then you've got a solid tight end. PFF thinks that Schultz is awesome. I think he's fine. You've got a great offensive line and you've got two good, if not better backs. Zeke is not what he was, but Pollard is better than he gets credit for. Comes out in the wash. That's a really amazing scenario. And then you add on Kellen Moore, who everybody thinks is going to be the next great offensive coach. And Dak still can't beat winning team. Like, and and it was it was truly his fault. He was outperformed by Jimmy Garoppolo with a hurt thumb. And Jimmy Garoppolo tried really hard to lose that game. Boy, did he. So my gift for this game is Elvira with two gigantic pumpkins instead of titties. Because this was just a fucking gigantic pumpkin fest. It was... We had a lot of non-franchise quarterbacks playing football in the playoffs this past weekend. And these are two of them. So how did Galapagos actually grade out? So Dak had a D and Garoppolo got a D, but a slightly better, more impressive D. Uh, because while Garoppolo had no spectacular, he had zero elite throws and zero great throws. He had six solid throws, six bad throws, eight boring throws, and two interceptable passes. And somehow... That's better than what Dak did because he didn't eat any sacks, he didn't fumble, and he didn't run for any negative plays. So we're splicing hairs here. But Dak was kind of like diarrhea, and Jimmy Garoppolo was kind of like natty splatties. Other things you want to deal with. No, but sometimes you have to. Well, I think I'm done dealing with them. Do you want to go to the uh, – I, I think you only graded one guy from this game, but – Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Believe it or not, Patrick Mahomes was actually the man he's supposed to be. And for the first time in a long time, I gave him an A minus, which I mean, like the dude has had a lot of F games this year. A minus, solid, didn't fuck anything up, had the pick. It was a bad pick. It should have been picked off by the guy who batted it. And then it should have been picked off by the guy who eventually picked it. Unfortunately for Patrick Mahomes haters, you can only throw one interception on one throw, but he tried. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I mean, he didn't fuck up. It was a fairly safe game for him. He was really good in the pocket. He maneuvered the pocket really, really well. And I know that people always think he does. A lot of the time, Patrick Mahomes invites pressure and he moves when he doesn't need to. But in this particular game, he really handled the Steelers rush well. So give him credit, not a pumpkin. On the other yeah, hand, that's a really that's a really good sign for them because he's been kind of their wild card this year where you know all their playmakers are working. That offensive line has performed real well. Obviously, they're a little beat up right now, but they're still good. And as long as he can avoid the crazy interceptable passes, he's always going to put him in a good position to win because he is so creative. If the Chiefs get this Patrick Mahomes for the rest of the playoffs, we're going to have a Super Bowl rematch on our hands that is very fun. Yeah. If, if the Chiefs can just get a Joe Burrow performance out of Patrick Mahomes for the rest of the playoffs, they will probably make the Super Bowl and it will be fun-ish. The problem is that that hasn't been what we've seen of him in the last two years. But again, we'll get into that later. Really quickly, I would like to talk shit about Ben Roethlisberger, who I did not grade. I have not graded him. I've graded him very little this year because we're both very happy to say that he's done playing football in the NFL. I could not get enough pictures of him walking off the field looking sad after they lost. I'm I'm very happy that that fat rapist will not get glorified on any any more ESPN broadcasts. The I it, like I understand the football thing, but yeah, I'm just happy I, I won't have to see him and get mad about it anymore. It's spoken like a Browns fan. 
Yeah, uh, it's fine. I mean, he, I love that he's been their quarterback the last few years because he's been horrible. Dude, it's so I was, I'm I was, sad to see him go from a football perspective, but I'm very happy he's out of the league. I'm actually not sad to see him go because it was so bad that fading them wasn't fun because it means you have to watch the Steelers. And that was just painful. It, it I was looking back. You know, people were reminiscing about like, oh, Big Ben, he used to be like tackling an apartment complex and he was so great. And for a while, he really, really was on a special, like an elite caliber quarterback. And it's been so long and he's played so badly for like a good three, four years that I forgot he was once good. Yeah, like, I mean, he used to be really, really frustratingly good. Um, he, he won so many games in Brown Stadium. Like, I think it was last year he got uh, dethroned as the winningest quarterback in that stadium or having more wins than any other Browns quarterback. Something just, you know, especially we sad. We don't have to pick at your scabs. It's okay. But, yeah, he was really good. He has not been anywhere near that for the last few years, though. Which it is kind of seemed like that year after AB and Le'Veon and all that happened was he started to decline and then he hit it real hard with the injuries, too. And all of this is why my pumpkin for Big Ben after this game is like a jack-o'-lantern that you forgot to throw away and you find it in February. Just completely gray and deflated and rotten. It, it was gross to see, and I'm glad that it is gone. And I'm also glad that I didn't have to be the one to throw it away. Well said. You want to go on to Monday night? Yeah, fucking Monday, baby. Make Monday a good day, baby. Yeah. On that note, how'd Kyler Murray do this week? <laughs> Watching Kyler Murray in this game was almost as painful as watching the Yeah Fucking Monday Baby video for the first time. D- he, that video is American art. Well, Kyler Murray is not. He, he couldn't fucking hit water if he fell out of a boat. It was bad. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, I mean, he looked a little slower. He was getting chased down by defenders. Like, maybe he's hurt. I cut his foot off. That doesn't explain why he can't hit a five-yard curl. So inaccurate. The offense is so quarterback friendly and so well designed, and he can't do shit. I would like to focus. First of all, he also got an F. He had a minus 13 slugging score, which I won't get into what that means, but the worst ever that I've seen in a first half of football that I've graded is Jalen Hurts against Tampa with a minus 14, and Kyler had a minus 13. And you could argue that Kyler was actually worse. Um, it wasn't even that he was missing on difficult throws or that he was trying to make something out of nothing or he was too aggressive. It was that he couldn't hit the fucking gimmies, man. Screens, slants, crossers within 10 yards, fucking yards off target. Was he drunk? I don't know. But this is not atypical of what we've seen from Kyler Murray. And I mean, fuck, it's why we made a bunch of fucking money betting on Colt McCoy. Yeah, he's just so boomer bust where he and I think a lot of it is when he has a guy he trusts like DeAndre Hopkins, he feels way more comfortable to go make some of the plays and he doesn't panic, but he doesn't have Nuke out there and everyone's been hurt this year. So he's just uncomfortable and we're getting a lot more of the bus games where he just can't hit anything. He's running into people instead of escaping out of the pocket and then nailing some throw 40 yards downfield. And, you know, that might just be him. He's also been hurt. We'll have to see. I think it probably is him. It's just fucking him, man. And, He's and an Chris, exciting player that isn't a great quarterback. Christian Kirk's Christian Kirk's mom agrees with me. It is him. It is only him. It was always him. Speaking of what is Kyler Murray, this is Kyler Murray. For those of you who are listening to the podcast, which is all of you, 
I am holding up a, would you say, baseball-sized pumpkin? I was going to say hockey puck, but I'm also on the other side of a computer screen, so. It is a hockey, it's a thick hockey puck. It's a hockey puck that's a, a little too much pie. It's like when you go to a really nice burger place. Yeah, it's like a thick burger. Or if we wanted to be not trash people, we could say it's about the size of a filet mignon. Um, because Kyler Murray is very tiny, and he's also very much a pumpkin. And sometimes it's fun, because like, oh, cute little pumpkin, you know? But it's, Kyler Murray's bad. And I honestly, I feel bad. I feel truly sad, because Cliff Kingsbury is a good offensive coach, and nobody's ever going to realize, because he is so inextricably tied to Kyler Murray. Like, you, I think he deserves a lot of the blame for that, though, too. Maybe, but knowing what we know now about Josh Rosen, I can't exactly blame him for saying, like, oh, I'll take the consensus number one pick over this guy. That's fair. And it's not like it's not like Tom Brady was like, hey, I'd like to be a Cardinal. And he's like, fuck off, dude. I got my guy. Like, he's been stuck with Kyler, and he's going to be forever. And then he'll go be an offensive coordinator somewhere and tear shit up, and then they'll be like, ah, oh, but, you know, he just can't cut it as a head coach. He'll go do a, he'll go do a year at Alabama, and then he'll get another head coaching gig. <laughs> he'll do a Lane Kiffin. And exactly. He'll do exactly a Lane Kiffin. And so waiting for Bill O'Brien to get hired by somebody. It's not happening. I think he's going to go to Jacksonville. I wouldn't be shocked. I could see Shad Khan loving that. I'd love it. I'd, it would be the first good thing Shad Khan's ever done. Yeah, I think as long as he can get along with Trevor Lawrence enough that they can be productive, he can make a great offense for him. Hey, we're talking about pumpkins and playoff football, not the Jaguars. So let's get to the final quarterback of the week. How'd Matt Stafford do? He didn't fuck it up. It was great. He didn't actively fuck it up. We've been waiting for the return of this Matt Stafford for many weeks. It has cost us several dollars, in my case, several thousand dollars. If this Matt Stafford plays against Baltimore or San Francisco, I am a wealthy man and I have a yacht. That's not, I don't have a yacht, but I feel better about myself. And Matt Stafford probably is in the MVP conversation again. Uh, I give him a B plus. He really wasn't asked to do much, but when he was asked to do stuff, he did it. That's all you, I mean, hats off. I have a feeling we'll learn a lot fucking more about Matt Stafford against Tom Brady this week. Shout out NYPD in the background. Out there protecting and serving. Is that still their slogan or do they have to change it? I don't fucking know. I think that in New York, they just use their sirens all the time to compete with all of the idiot New Yorkers who use their horns all the time. Fun little story. I was walking back from my grocery store passing Madison Square Garden and they had like they had blocked off a street because Madison Square Garden the Knicks were about to play like in an hour and therefore there's a bunch of cars like waiting being stopped by a fucking traffic cop like no you can't go we're letting people walk and they had been stopped for like all the cars were settled for several seconds and all of a sudden one dude just starts laying on his horn as if he were shot in the face and fell onto his horn for like a good 20 seconds, which causes every other car in this 13 car line to just start blasting their fucking horn indiscriminately at no one while no one is moving. Nobody is allowed to move. There's nowhere for anyone to go. They're at a red light that is also being stopped by a traffic cop. And I'm just standing next to him like, why the fuck do I live in this city? Take me back to L.A. Well, this is some great content. <laughs> Everybody wants um, to know. All right, we'll make them pay for that great anecdote with a commercial, and then we'll come back and we'll make people money. How about that? All right, Joe. Well, we got the divisional round coming up. Let's get into the first game on Saturday. The Cincinnati Bengals are going to play this 
Tennessee Titans. The Titans are minus three and a half. And this begins a theme that will recur throughout this four-game slate. I love this game. It's going to be a great game, and I know who's going to win, but fuck, that line is prohibitive. We have a rule. We have a rule about the Tennessee Titans. We do not bet on the Tennessee Titans laying more than two because Mike Vrabel, one, is a pussy, and two, is addicted. He's like, some of you may have heard of a sex act called edging. Mike Vrabel likes to edge by coming as close to losing every game as he possibly can. Him and Kevin Stefanski actually might, they might go to the same edging club for almost losing games, but not quite. I think the Titans are significantly better than the Bengals. And I think that if the Titans wanted to and had the proper coaching, actually, let me put it slightly differently. I think if you flipped the head coaches, not even the coordinators, just the head coaches, the Titans win this game by 20. But we can't do that. So we are forced to play with the line we're dealt. I don't think this line's going anywhere. I don't know how to get at it, though. I have to get at it. I'm betting on all four games in some form or fashion. I just don't know how to get Tennessee first half. Yeah, you can do first half. The only thing that I worry about is that Jamar normally starts hot because teams aren't used to him because he is very fast. And I think they got to take a second to figure him out, or at least how the Bengals use their receivers. Because he starts hot in a lot of games, and then he'll tail off late unless, you know, they're the ones where he's people fall down trying to tackle him. Do you think that's mitigated at all by the fact that Christian Fulton was his teammate at LSU? I mean, like, I figure anybody, if anybody's going to know how to cover Jamar Chase in the NFL this year, it's probably going to be Christian Fulton who covered him every day in practice. That is a very good point. Like, at least he won't be surprised by his athleticism because it, it does seem that defensive backs in the NFL, as similar to what I did, underestimate his speed. Yeah, I did the same thing. I thought he was, like, fast. But he is he is really fast. He's deceptively he's the first black wide receiver that is deceptively fast. I, th- I think that's fair to say, at least in my era. Um, man, first half is fucking Titans minus two and a half. Why? I mean, I feel better about that because at three and a half, I almost want to take the Bengals because the Titans are going to win by two or three points. It is in their DNA. It's the only way they know how to win games. So either they're going to lose or they're going to win by two or three points. There's like a 10% chance that Derrick Henry has a renaissance game and runs for 250 yards and three touchdowns, and then Tannehill just eats on the as everyone's up near the line. There's a chance that happens because the Titans are much better. But Mike Vrabel cannot do anything else besides win by two or three points. Dude, all the fucking money's on the Titans, too. 63%. Yeah, open at three. 63% of the money and 49% of the bets which means that the people who are betting the most money are on the Titans, which is a yeah. surrogate. This is a uh, a decent way to tell like what the quote-unquote sharp side is, not that I really give a shit, but that is good for line movement tracking. Usually this is where I would be talking about asymmetric risk, and like if it's three and a half, you wait. You fucking wait until kickoff because getting three is important and getting up to four is not a big deal. Um, I don't think it's going down to three. Yeah, I think it's probably going to sit here. And I don't even have a drop dead leg this week because the games are all enticing. Yeah, these uh, this game might just be one that I either tease down or just use as money line because I want to bet on it, but I don't want to bet on it that bad. Well, maybe we come back to it after we break things down because I don't know what else to say right now other than I really want to bet on the Titans. And worst case scenario, I'm going to live bet the Titans when they drop under three and a half, but it's tough. Yeah. Vegas knows what they're doing. Evidently for once. God damn. All right. Well, let's move on to the next game. 
the late game on Saturday, the San Francisco 49ers are going to play the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are minus six. This is another toughie because I kind of want to bet on the 49ers at this line. Um, the 49ers just make games close and the Packers, their biggest struggle on defense over the last few years has been stopping the outside zone. Now they've changed things. They run that cloud defense that we've talked about in prior podcasts, which actually should help them keep things in front of them and limit those big breakaway runs that the 49ers are famous for. One thing that we overlooked last week, we, we correctly thought that the Cowboys would get a ton of penetration with their awesome defensive ends and Micah Parsons running around trying to stop the run. We, we were right. They penetrated like fucking crazy. We were wrong because we forgot that they're going to over-pursue the living shit out of every outside run, allowing huge cutback lanes, and that is what San Francisco does. Yeah, and that's what the 49ers designed for. Yeah, like, like literally. That is their plan. They want you to be fast and stupid, and the Cowboys also want to be fast and stupid because that's how they're built. <sighs> now, on the other hand, part of the reason I don't want to bet on San Francisco is, one, Jimmy Garoppolo with his fucked up thumb has looked I don't want to say okay. I don't want to say passable. But Jimmy Garoppolo has not completely and totally sabotaged his team over the last two games, right? With his fucked up Mm -hmm. thumb. Apparently, he also sprained his throwing shoulder. His thumb is still fucked up. And the last two weeks, he's been playing indoors. Now he's going to cold-ass Lambo. If you've ever sprained your thumb, and I know you have, it fucking sucks to be out in the cold with that fucker. Especially because it gets a little clumsy and you jam it on fucking everything when it gets cold. So he's going to have a fucked up, jammed up thumb. It's going to be killing him. He won't be able to hold the ball because his hand's going to be numb and his thumb's going to be bum and his shoulder is fucking hurt to some extent that they won't tell us exactly. And heard a little inside info. I don't know how fucking true it is, but apparently in the Rams game when they were down 17, nothing two weeks ago, Jimmy G got a tortorol shot at halftime, came back, played a lot better. Apparently because that worked so well against the Cowboys, they shot him up before the game, came out, played pretty well. It faded as the game went on, and he looked worse. I don't know how true that is, but on the off chance that it's even remotely true, that would be bad because Trey Lance would be really bad. Yeah. Like if the other, the other reason I don't necessarily want to take the 49ers even at six is that the Packers should be able to just throw all over them. They oh, should have yeah. a field day because that's a, the Packers wide receivers are very good. Obviously, they have Devontae Adams, who gets and open like deep. anyone, they're and so they're deep. really deep. Rodgers loves playing spread out, and the 49ers have no one in second. They have, you know, uh, Jimmy Ward, and then a bunch of guys that are rosterable, but not people you want starting. No. Rosterable is generous, even. And Fred Warner's hurt, so even if he plays, he's going to be a shell of himself. And Matt LaFleur genius that he is is going to be able to take the linebackers for the 49ers right out of the game and that's one of their best things is their linebackers those linebackers are fucking useless because play action is going to suck them right the fuck up like a vacuum and without nick bosa if nick bosa doesn't play you gotta bet packers minus six if nick bosa plays and i imagine he will because he doesn't strike me as one who is particularly concerned with his brain health uh so i i think he would play through like stage four cte much less a possible concussion and I can't talk shit because I've played through concussions too. But if God forbid Nick Post is ruled out, you take my I expect space. him to play, but he could get knocked out real quick too. Just because if he's already banged up like that, so you don't know how if he's gonna be in the game the whole time and post concussion, you're not super like clear and quick in your reactions too. I'm gonna call you out on that one. He's a defensive end. He does not have to think. 
He has to react quick. He's still got a process. But either way, Fred Warner and Bosa are going to be limited if they play. And those are their two best players. Green Bay's offensive line is healthy as fuck and incredible. Mm -hmm. They're going to be at Lambeau. Okay, so Packers are definitely the side. Are they drop-dead leggy enough to parlay them with Tennessee? It's probably the best we're going to get from the games. All right. Because we're going to have to make a hard decision at a certain point. And I think the one I would feel most comfortable with would be using Packers' money line instead of taking Titans' three and a half. Those jackasses at Bovada won't let you get Green Bay minus anything less than three and a half. It won't do negative minus two alt line because they know. I've broken them. They know me. <laughs> All right, let's see what happens when you parlay Green Bay money line with Tennessee minus like one. Some bitch. Tennessee money line, Green Bay money line plus 116. The 49ers are going to win and fuck that up for me. <laughs> I'd be okay with losing that bet. Oh, I'd be so fucking happy. I don't want the Packers to fucking win, but they're gonna. Yeah, no, they are. They should. Fuck. I, I renounced my Bears fandom weeks ago for like the ninth time. And I, I just, I still fucking hate the Packers. My Honestly, I, I normally didn't have too much of an issue with the Packers besides just like jealousy. But Aaron Rodgers has just become so annoying to me. No, in, in the last just, few years, not even this year. I don't even care about that. Just the last like handful of years, he's been like a moody child that wants to be the greatest ever, but he's not. Like he's really good, was, but he just bothers me. So I want them to fail. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Aaron Rodgers is just a really cool, laid back, not even a little bit arrogant dude. You know, like he just he's he's like all of us. He likes to watch John Wick and listen to Joe Rogan. He's just like super cool and not at all a pretentious douchebag who tries to be whatever kind of chameleon works for the current setting. It has found him a lot of success. Fuck Aaron Rodgers. We will consider this parlay because I'm not finding any bets. Yeah, it's a tough week. You want to go on to Sunday? Yeah, at least we can bet on Sunday. All right. In the first game on Sunday, we have the Los Angeles Rams going to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs are minus three. This game, this is going to be fun. This is my Super Bowl. I think whoever wins this game probably wins the Super Bowl. Whoever, honest, I'm, I'm really upset that we have to watch this game in the divisional round because it's not fair to Matt Stafford. Like, he just had his big triumphant first playoff win, and now everybody's like, yeah, but if he doesn't win the Super Bowl, it doesn't mean anything. Well, he's going to lose to fucking Tom Brady and the best team that Tom Brady's had in 15 years, and it's not his fault. Mm -hmm. He's just not the greatest of all time. He's good. He's very good. Um, yeah, so I'm going to take Tampa. I agree. I think we can take them as well. I think they'll be able to harass Stafford enough and Tampa will be able to get a lot of completions because that secondary is fraudulent for the Rams. God, yeah. So I think they're going to be able to score a lot and it'll put too much pressure on Stafford to try and create. The one thing I do worry about is the health of the Bucks' offensive line because Wirfs obviously came back in but then left. So he's going to be banged up if he plays. And then is was it Jensen that went out? Jensen's fine. He's fine. Yeah, he he so got, it's just worse. Yeah, it's just worse. Apparently, it's a high ankle sprain, and he's had a week to recover. A high ankle sprain is usually a six-week injury for a skill player, and that's what everybody's familiar with. But he's an offensive lineman. High ankle sprains really suck when you have to torque on them, like when you have to like twist. He doesn't have to twist. He just has to anchor. If they brace that fucker up and tape it real good and give him a shot of tortorol before the game, he'll be fine. Um, yeah, I mean, like Joe Thomas talks about all the time, where you would play with high ankle sprains like throughout the entire year yeah I think that if it was a closer game and it wasn't the Philadelphia Eagles 
they were beating Philly 31 to zero when he like officially tapped out. He probably should have tapped out if he felt great at that score. Like it's, I'm glad that they didn't because I had a bet on Tom Brady over 275 yards that I lost by one yard, but that's tough. Like, I mean, Oh, trust me. I know. I, oh, he was at like 200 at halftime too. So like it was purely a matter of, did they want it? And they didn't. Um, if I didn't have that bet, I would have been advocating that they pull Brady after the second quarter, get some Blaine Gabbert time. But anyhow, let's get into the actual minutia of this game. I love Matt Stafford. I really do. I think he's a great quarterback. I had him as my quarterback too coming into the year. I got down on him over the last month or so because he had been a turnover machine. And he cleaned that up against Arizona. But one thing he didn't clean up, and one thing that's been just as prevalent as his turnovers, is over the last month or two, he has been walking into sacks. His pocket presence is completely gone. And that makes a little sense. He's an older quarterback learning a newer offense. He's not comfortable. And you can tell when he goes through his progressions. He's just not thinking about everything at the same time. He's walking into sacks, and Tampa Bay is not the defense you want to be playing against when you have when you're struggling with your pockets. Tampa Bay brings exotic blitzes all the fucking time and Tampa Bay takes away the deep throw. Matt Stafford loves the deep throw. His pocket presence is bad. It's just a bad matchup for him. You also can't run against Tampa. So Matt Stafford is going to have to take the short things. He's going to have to take the intermediate things. He's going to have to do it very well. And he's going to have to not have lapses in judgment. That's the only way the Rams win. And that is literally playing to all of his weaknesses. On the flip side, well, why don't you address what I said about their offense before we talk about the Rams defense? I, I think you're pretty spot on with everything. You know, we we came into the year think they were going to be a juggernaut. And Cooper Cup obviously had won the triple crown. No, we don't talk yeah. about Cooper Cup. Odell Beckham had four catches on Monday night, dude. You got to suck his dick. Yeah, well, it's because he scores touchdowns. It's the only reason. It's because they, and like, it, you know, it's an argument. They utilize him better in the red zone, but Odell wasn't exactly like wide open for whatever. You see my um, eyes? See my eyes? Roll them. Continue. And so he's been scoring touchdowns, and it's why everyone's paying attention. He still gets like four targets a game and gets like 40 to 60 yards. Like he's a number two or three receiver, and he does great in that role. But yeah, Cooper Cup, though. Great. The offense, the O-line is hit or miss. Whitworth's a little banged up. In ancient. Stafford, as you talked about, has been a little skittish this year. And he seems like he implodes as soon as something bad happens, especially if it happens early. And exactly what you were talking about, the defensive line and those pass rushers are going to get after them and they're going to try and confuse him. You're right. It's just a really bad matchup for him. Having Cam Akers back will help. And they might be able to get something because their run game did look a lot better last week. Oh, it but, did. But it's a team you don't want to run against. Vita Vea basically takes up the entire interior. Like he blocks the one gap and the three gaps. So, like the entire the center and both guards have to be preoccupied with Vita Vea. And then, God forbid, you've got Indomitian Sue and Raheem Nunez Roches Nacho. They call him, and I'm gonna. You've got Nachos and Donkey Kong, and that is a fucking handful to deal with in the run game as well. And then you've got Devin White, a run, a, a torpedo. He's Micah Parsons. I think Devin White is Micah Parsons that just never got a chance to play it. Uh, fast, not great in coverage, kind of not smart, overruns things, but fast, really quick, loves to tackle the runner. Um, and then Shaq Barrett, JPP, and Joe Tryon are all like adequate edge rushers. 
that's probably a little generous to Joe Tryon, who's a strong safety with great length. He's Jamal Adams playing defensive end, but you can't run on them. Nobody can. Nobody will. And if the Rams try, and they probably will, it'll waste downs, which will only force Stafford to throw further downfield, which will only encourage more and more interceptions, more and more negative plays, a more and more difficult day for him. Um, Cooper Cup will have his. I saw a, a stat bandied about today on Twitter about how Cooper Cup against um, Todd Bowles' defenses just fucking eats. Yeah, he's going to eat. Todd Bowles' defense is a, is built to allow you the short and short intermediate throws. Like anywhere from zero to 12 yards, they're not really going to fuck with you that much. They're going to bet that over the course of 10 plays, if you try to take the 10 yards every play, you will either eat a sack or turn the ball over because pressure will get to you. So Cooper Cup will have eight to 10 catches. He'll have 80 to 120 yards. It'll look nice. He's probably going to get a touchdown, but the Rams will not be able to score 30 points. And I think the Buccaneers really can because here's where we talk about the Bucs offense versus the Rams defense. Kyler Murray's ineptitude basically let the Rams get away with some of the worst safety play I've ever seen. Um, they had the one really nice, oh fuck, the backup safety. I don't remember his name. I think it was Burgess. It might've been Burgess. Drove on that AJ Green pot shot, uh, the one where they thought it was a catch and then it wasn't a catch. He drove on that and made a nice hit. And Kyler helped him out a little bit by floating it and putting it a little behind him, whatever. Other than that, the middle of the field was open all day. Kyler just couldn't hit it. Tom Brady will hit it. Not only will Tom Brady hit it, he'll be looking to hit it because they have nobody who can cover Gronk except for Jalen Ramsey, but they won't do that. They'll put Jalen Ramsey on Mike Evans, which first of all, Mike Evans has played well against Jalen Ramsey in the past. Um, they've faced off a few times and Mike Evans has never been completely shut down. He'll get his, I mean, he won't get Mike Evans numbers, but he'll get, he'll, he'll still be good for jump balls and he'll still be good for some possession routes throughout the game. Gronk will be wide open. They have nobody who can cover him. Taylor Rapp comes back from concussion protocol. Taylor Rapp is still a uh, box safety who struggles mentally in space. I was about to say Taylor Rapp is not your savior coming in. No. Um, He's I just really, a lot better than a guy that was retired for two years. Yeah. Like, oh, if Eric Weddle is on the field for a single play against the Buccaneers, Brady will find him. And then we will have to scoop his corpse up off of the ground with like 130 yards stamped on his forehead from Cameron Brait. Uh, hey, but he'll have died on the field with some honor. Well, dude, Eric Weddle was bad three years ago when he was still playing. So yeah. anyhow, the matchups are just too good for the Buccaneers. Aaron Donald's a fucking force. He's incredible. But Ryan Jensen's a good center and he's a vicious center. A lot of centers that are really good. We think of like, we saw this actually perfectly last week. Jason Kelsey is a great center, all time. A few years ago, I thought like, yeah, Jason Kelsey's losing a step. He's not what he was. He's like a B to B plus center. I was wrong. He's still an A center. He's awesome, but he's awesome because he's quick. And that's the case with a lot of centers in the NFL these days. Vita Vea is awesome because he is bigger and stronger than you. He will, he will pick you up. He will curl you. He will do a nice little hang clean, and then he will walk to your quarterback. Aaron Donald is a fierce combination of fast and viciously strong. Ryan Jensen, another very good center is not as good as Kelsey, but he's a better matchup for Donald because he's aggressive and strong. He's probably the strongest center going in the NFL right now, just as far as like mauling and physical strength go. So that's a good matchup. And then you add in the fact that both of the Buccaneers guards are good guards. They're going to be able to double team Donald. Craig Gaines is a really good nose tackle, but he's not a pass rusher. So you don't have to worry about him against Brady. It's going to come down to, oh, Leonard Floyd is... He's like Bud Dupree in that he's athletic, but not actually good at football. I don't think Donovan Smith will struggle with him. 
like he's a he's a sloppy cleanup sack merchant and Brady doesn't allow those. Game's gonna come down to can Tristan Wirfs hang with his bum ankle against Von Miller. I think he will. I think that he'll be fine. Uh, if if Tristan Wirfs is not significantly hampered, if he's mostly the man we know him to be, don't fucking worry about it. If he's hurt and he like significantly struggles because of it, now the Rams defense has an in because Vaughn can get pressure on Brady. But if that happens, the Buccaneers are just going to go to their quick game. And the Rams love to run that soft cushion zone defense. Brady will slice him and dice him to all his fucking possession receivers. Giovanni Bernard swings, Gronk up the seams, and short routes to Johnson, Miller, and Perriman. And they're going to score 30 because they always score 30. And they're going to win. And they're going to cover the three. And it'll be a great game. But the Buccaneers are going to win because they're when the Buccaneers are on, they're the best team in the NFL, and it's not particularly close. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I I like the Bucs. Their their offense is you know they're healthier. They've been humming. They're putting up points in clutch moments. Obviously, Werfs we're going to see, and that is the big question because Von Miller can all even though he's older and he's slowed down, he can still go fuck your day up. He's been playing well, and with Aaron Donald in the middle you can't go and double team him or throw much help out there too often. So if they can get going, you can really start to mess with that offense. I know the quick game is there for them, but if they start hitting Brady a bunch and they're not getting their, their uh, quick game going, it's going to turn on them pretty quick. I still like the bucks. I think they just match up better and everything. Well, the, the bucks also have the secret weapon that I neglected to speak of. And they did this a lot last year, deep in the playoffs. Gronkowski could be a B to B minus offensive tackle if he needed to be. And if Wurfs is actually struggling, he will play offensive tackle with Wurfs. They will double team on the outside and it will be fine. And they have the depth in Brait and OJ Howard at tight end to still run their tight end plays and abuse the safeties. It won't be as easy, but it'll still be pretty easy. So I just, it's a great matchup for the Bucks. Yeah. So that one we are, uh, we're, we're feeling real good about. Do you want to go on to Sunday night? Real quick, before we do that, do we take Tampa minus three at even odds, or do we wait and see if we can get under the three? Because we will get under the three. It's just a matter of do we need to. Might as well. Might as okay. well wait and so, see what happens if anything moves in the next day or so. So here will be our constraints. If it goes – so it's currently minus three at even odds. If it goes to minus three, 115, bite. Uh, otherwise, keep waiting. Worst case scenario, again – you get so worst case scenario, take minus three, 115. Best case scenario, you get down to minus two, minus two and a half, 110. Most likely scenario is you end up still just taking minus three at some regular odd. So that's those are your parameters. We can just put it in now, honestly. Instead of doing all that, we could just put it in. We'll I'm trying, two. I'm trying to help the people. Oh no, it's good advice. I'm just saying, at least for, for our side, we don't need to wait yeah. and see. We'll just take it at three. Yeah. All right. So Sunday night. The Buffalo Bills go to play the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are minus two and a half. I have Chiefs minus two already in my bag. I like it at minus two and a half still. I'm going to get into the actual minutia, I promise. But cursory overview, dude, Josh Allen just can't do that again. Like, the Bills are not the Bills that we saw with perfect Josh Allen. There is a middle ground somewhere. I agree. I mean, because that was perfect football. It was amazing. We've talked about it plenty. It was special. I was watching it like on my phone and listening to it on the radio and was like, this is a blast. Um, but he's still Josh Allen and he's going to have those lulls and he's going to throw the crazy pickables or run backwards. He's been doing it less lately, but I don't trust him. And right now, 
just on a surface level, I trust Mahomes and Andy Reid more than I do Brian Dable and Josh Allen. So let's say, because I mean, Patrick Mahomes has had his fair share of terrible games. And in fact, on the year, Josh Allen has had a better year of playing quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. I agree with you. But Patrick Mahomes has to do much less because he has Andy Reid. And while Brian Dable is a good offensive coordinator, I like him. And a team should totally hire him as their head coach. If the Chargers had done it last year like they were supposed to, they'd still be playing. But he's not Andy Reid because literally nobody is Andy Reid. Andy Reid is the greatest coach of all time. Additionally, Buffalo has gotten fortunate. The, you'll hear all over the internet that they're the number one ranked defense in the NFL. They also have the second easiest schedule in the NFL this year. And the last two or three times they've played a big game, it's been against a team that can't fucking pass the goddamn ball, like New England. It doesn't matter if you have no cornerbacks against New England. It really matters if you have no cornerbacks against the Chiefs. Levi Wallace has played fine, but he should really be a low-end cornerback too, and he's their guy. So at the least, because the, the Chiefs have actually moved to a much more condensed horizontal offense, they don't, they're not taking the deep shots as much anymore because they understand that Patrick Mahomes is completely incapable of handling two man. They're going to throw the screens to Tyreek and to Hardman. They're going to find the little crossers and they are going to work. Yeah, they they still just have so much speed between Hardman, Hill, Pringles fast that they can just outrun you. And when you don't have talented corners, especially ones that aren't necessarily as experienced with those top level guys, they're going to be able to just embarrass them, especially with Andy Reid designing the plays. They're going to be using motion and throwing their screens and everything like crazy. Yeah, and so on the other on the other hand, we I mean Mahomes. It's noted he struggles against two man, and Leslie Frazier, defensive coordinator of the Bills, is like one of the originators of two man. Like he's an OG. He's an '85 Bear. He runs that two man, Lovey Smith style. But there's only so much you can do without corners and. The safeties are going to be very preoccupied with Travis Kelsey. The safeties are going to be really preoccupied with making sure Tyreek Hill doesn't blow the fucking doors off of the corners. And like you said, there's just too much speed. You have two all-pro safeties, and I will give them all the credit in the world. Hyde and Poyer are really good and significantly better than I ever thought they would be. But if you run Hardman deep, no corner on Buffalo can run with him, you need help. And you run Tyreek Hill deep, no corner on Buffalo can run with him, you need help. We've just created a massive void over the middle where Trey Edmonds or Matt Milano is going to have to go one-on-one with Travis Kelsey or a running back. Trey Edmonds is a fucking walking disaster, so that's a Kansas City fan's wet dream. And while Milano is good in coverage, that means that you get fucking Jarek McKinnon or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or whoever the fuck else they trot out of their backfield against Trey Edmonds, which is a loss for the Bills. And the Chiefs have shown the discipline to just take those shorties, fucking work the ball down the field, and they will score. And it doesn't matter if Patrick Mahomes plays a great game because Andy Reid will take care of the rest. Exactly. I think that's the the biggest point to talk about is that Mahomes doesn't have to be perfect. He doesn't have to win the game for the Chiefs, whereas Josh Allen does. They don't really have a run game, even though it's looked a little bit better lately. Josh Allen is the run game. It's because they're running with him. And it's getting a little bit into the Lamar stuff from the beginning of this year where he was just their entire offense. And when he played well, they won. When he didn't play well, the whole team fell apart. And it's not quite that level because they still have Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis is unwell and Emmanuel Sanders. Granted, is he healthy? 
Um, Emmanuel Sanders is healthy now. He actually played fairly well against the Patriots, and Isaiah McKenzie looks special. Yeah. And, and Cole Beasley is immune from COVID now. He is. <laughs> I wasn't sure if every week. Emmanuel got hurt, because I know he, he scored a touchdown in the game, but I thought he got hurt, but I wasn't sure. I, I will say I didn't watch shit in the fourth quarter. I had the game on in the background while I bet on the Patriots getting first downs to make quick cash. Yeah, I, I can't pretend I was super, super involved either. Like I said, I was watching it on my phone and listening to it on the radio. I'm not concerned because while the Bills have really good weapons, their offensive line is a little weak. Josh Allen kind of negates that. But as good as Josh Allen is, Melvin Ingram is a fast edge that will be able to run with him a little bit. And Chris Jones is an imposing enough defensive tackle that when he gets pressure, Josh Allen's not going to be able to just stiff arm him the way he so often does. Chris Jones will finish and Frank Clark will finish. And Melvin Gordon, Melvin Ingram, fuck. One of the Melvins, the one that plays defense, one of the former Charger Melvins that plays defense will be able to run with him. Yeah. So additionally, the Chiefs secondary has been very overrated by math types. Like PFF, I think they had, I don't remember which one, but I think they had like fucking Mike Hughes as the number one ranked corner for a significant portion of the year. That's hilarious bullshit. But what I will grant the Chiefs is that they have about four cornerbacks who could legitimately be second cornerbacks on a good defense. DeAndre Baker with his crazy criminal ass disappointing me. Uh, Charvarius Ward, Legarius Sneed, Mike Hughes. These dudes can all hang. They will all have decent leverage. They will not let dudes blow past them. Their ball skills all suck, and they're not awesome tacklers, but they will be in phase. Being in phase against Josh Allen is usually most of the job because he will miss a little bit, and that's when you get pass breakups and picks. And his accuracy problems are not as bad. Like, this may, this is a significantly more important thing to say than it sounds, but like when Josh Allen has wide open throws, he hits him. His accuracy becomes much, much, much worse when people are actually covered. So, and like, again, I know that, that you're going to think like, oh, isn't that fucking everybody? Not really. Some guy, like Lamar Jackson will just miss a wide open dude all the fucking time. Um, anyhow, combine, honestly, another thing, Daniel Sorensen sucks ass and the Chiefs keep on playing him. He might be a perfect he might be a perfect spy for Josh Allen. Is he even fast enough to do that? Yeah. Josh Allen's a great runner, but he's not a burner. Because that's what I was going to bring up is that's the that's the clear mismatch is who's going to run with Josh Allen because they've turned that into a big part of their offense the last like quarter of the year and now in the playoffs. I mean, Nick Bolton has looked good. Willie Gay, too. He, they're both run and tackle guys. They're not coverage guys. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I guess you could have Tyran running around, but you don't really you want, want him doing just that. He's you want not, Ty, you want Tyron on Dawson Knox. Yeah. So, so I think that's where they'll have a big matchup advantage because if you can't contain with Ingram, they might be able to start cutting you up. Spagnolo is a good defensive coordinator who is creative and he is the type that will find matchups. He doesn't run one particular scheme. He will say, okay, this is what they do. I'll take it away. I'm pretty sure he's the dude who invented the two-tiered blitz for Lamar Jackson. I think they'll bring that on Josh Allen. I think they'll have some success with it. And at the least, I think they'll know just a spy. So I like Kansas City. We've got the better coach. We've got a slightly worse quarterback, but he is being asked to do so much less. We've got a better defense with better depth and a better scheme adjustment. Um, 
There's also something to be said about Andy Reid in the playoffs with his bag of tricks wide the fuck open. Like, we might actually get Josh Gordon throwing a 50-yard touchdown to fucking, I don't know, Zeus, the left tackle. It could happen. I don't. If I could understand Andy Reid, I would be Andy Reid. I do not understand him, and therefore I cannot be. Yeah, I mean, you, you laid it out perfectly right there. They, they're better pretty much all around. They have is the matchup advantages in most places, and you have a seasoned playoff team that knows how to deal with it compared to a team that is, you know, newer to this level or this. I know they've played the, the Chiefs, but they haven't gotten past them. Two things. One, heard a stat from PFF. Josh Allen has had like six games where he's in the 90s, right? So like six truly elite games. He's never had a good game afterwards. It's always it's almost exclusively terrible, but occasionally average at best. Two, last time the Bills beat the Patriots and had a big cathartic win where they felt like King Dick, they almost lost to the fucking Falcons the next week. And he threw three picks that game too. And then the week after that, they almost lost to the Jets. I mean, they ended up winning by a lot, but it was way too fucking close. And Josh Allen did not play particularly well. So it is the Josh Allen roller coaster. It is the Josh Allen roller coaster. And the market is already overreacting to a win against the Patriots that for some reason people think are different from the Miami Dolphins. Yes, but that's where we benefit. Exactly. So we know we like Tampa minus three over LA. And now we know we like the Chiefs minus two or two and a half. Get what you fucking can. If it's under three, I don't care. It's all the same to me over the bills. Should we just say fuck it? Parlay Green Bay and Titans money line because those lines are just so prohibitive. Yeah, let's just do that. I think you could definitely live bet these ones and find some really good value. Oh yeah. Um, that San Francisco versus Green Bay game, your little secret bet, take the first quarter over because we have a little... One of our strategies when we like the Packer, when we want to bet against the Packers is wait until after their first drive because Matt LaFleur is so good with the opening scripts. He almost always scores. And so is Kyle Shanahan. So is Kyle Shanahan. And the over-under is only nine and a half. So if one of them gets a touchdown and one of them gets a field goal, we win money. And I, I don't want to guarantee it, but I fucking really think that that happens. So over nine and a half in the first quarter of that game, we're not going to make it a pod pick because it's not a side, but I love that. Yeah, that's a good bet. I'm going to uh, look for that one as well. Um, yeah, so we'll throw the Green Bay and Tennessee parlay in there, and that is at plus 116 odds. And then as far as Tennessee goes, I would just wait and hope for a hot Bengals start, and you can get some – you can get Tennessee even or at plus odds, and then just let them come march back you because might even, that Bengals defense is weak. You, you might even just get a game where – it's close into the second or third quarter and the line drops down under three because the game is close. Um, the Titans are just, they're so well rested. They're finally getting healthy. Their offensive line is good. Their wide receivers are finally back, which means that Tannehill can show off the fact that he's legitimately good. Derrick Henry might be back. I frankly don't care. The Titans are going to win that game. So I agree with you. I love them money line. It's just their numbers that I can never trust them. Our pod but picks, I love them in that game. Our pod picks for the divisional round. Tennessee and Green Bay, money line parlay at plus 116 odds. Tampa over LA, minus three, even odds. And then Kansas City over Buffalo, minus two and a half, minus 105 odds, or minus two at minus 110, whatever the fuck, doesn't matter. Um, how should we do our units here? Just one unit each? That feels really lame after last week. Yeah, I feel like we got to go more than that. It's playoffs. We got to risk some, at least do two. All right, we'll do two uh, units really on the Tennessee. We'll do two units on Tennessee Green Bay because we're effectively betting two games. Okay. 
What do you feel most confident between Kansas City and Tampa? Frankly, I might do two units on both games. Yeah, I was thinking we do three on one. Tampa is such a good matchup, dude. That's where I'm thinking we do three on Tampa. And now we could also do one, one, and two. No, fuck that. Um, we know how this world works. There is no such thing as justice in the football Twitter sphere. Can't you just see Matt Stafford playing pretty good, having a great season, getting beaten by Tom Brady on his way to his Super Bowl, and then next year everybody says Matt Stafford still can't win the big one? Yep, home fraud. It's just, it's just too unjust. It has to happen. Mm-hmm. He made the mistake of getting drafted to Detroit, which is similarly cursed to Cleveland. And okay. anyone that goes there will not find success unless they get away. I don't have sympathy because he could have pulled an Eli Manning. He didn't. So the, the lesson from this week is be a dick. Tell your employer to fuck himself. Go to the good places with the most money and the help. All right. Kind of a banal week because we've got four games and they're lined really fucking well, but we still got three bets for you. We got seven units down on the board for you. We're up 15 units on the year for an 11% ROI and 54.4% win percentage. If you won't listen to my picks, please listen to me when I beg you to bet on football games. Asta.